Did you miss your favorite WXVU show? Have no fear, because every single WXVU show is available on demand. You heard that right, every single show. Search WXVU on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and you'll find archives of all of our weekly shows. It's another reason why this truly is the greatest semester in the history of Villanova's V891, The Roar. First order of business, as always, is this week's lucky number, which is seven. Wow, two weeks in a row? That's crazy. You might be asking, why seven? Why this week again? Well, that's how many hundreds of dollars I'm betting on the Eagles this Sunday. Eagles money line, baby, let's go. Nah, I'm just kidding, you guys. But let's be for real. This Super Bowl is going to be one of the best matchups in in recent history. Just think about it for a sec. The Eagles were a force to be reckoned with during the regular season, and they didn't let up during the playoffs. And the Chiefs, of course, oh my god, the Chiefs have always been a serious Lombardi trophy contender in this championship, you know? But I still think that the Eagles are going to be the winners in this Super Bowl 57. Now, you might be wondering, why do I think that? For starters, let's talk about the Eagles' hungry defense. And when I say hungry, I mean these guys are really hungry for stops. I mean, they amassed a franchise record 70 sacks too short of tying the all-time record during the regular season. And that energy has been carried through this postseason. I mean, even in the San Francisco game for the NFC Championship, they racked up, what, three sacks and three forced fumbles? And in the AFC Championship game, Mahomes was sacked three times and had one lost fumble. I mean, think about that for a second. If the Eagles continue to play that way, Mahomes might not stand a chance. His O-line might not stand a chance. And... These three sacks and one loss fumble for the AFC Championship, these were against the Bengals, or how I like to call them, the Bungles, who have nowhere near the past rushing, the past rushing firepower that the Eagles do. I also like Philly's chances offensively. I mean, come on, you can't be shocked or upset to hear that this city of brotherly love knows a thing or two about being ready to attack. I mean, the Eagles' rushing ability can definitely wear down Kansas City's defense. While the Eagles' offense wasn't the best against the 49ers, Philly still managed 148 yards and four rushing touchdowns against really the second-best run defense in football. And let's be real, even if Jalen Hurts looks nervous on his first couple of passes, don't get too worried. This man is an all-around athlete. This guy knows how to use his legs, and the Eagles simply push a rushing attack to win this game. This isn't to say that Kansas City doesn't have weapons. I mean, seriously, Chris Jones? Wow. One of the most disruptive interior defensive linemen in the NFL, and I stand by that. He stands a huge problem for Philly. Not only can this guy blow up the run game with his size and his reach, but but for quarterbacks, he serves as an absolute nightmare. I mean, think about it in the AFC Championship game. He got, what, 
two sacks, three tackles. And those tackles led to losses? Losses in yards? And he got five quarterback hits? I mean, seriously, that's... That's impressive. Also, while some people praise Philly for having the best offensive line, the numbers this year don't necessarily agree with that. Philly had 44 sacks against them during the regular season, which is really high up there. Still, the right side of their line is very strong. I mean, seriously, you've got Lane Johnson as tackle and Jason Kelsey as center. Between the two of them, they hadn't allowed sacks this season. The rest of the group, however, will definitely be tested. The Eagles' defense also needs to be conscious and aware of Patrick Mahomes and his big playmaking ability. Specifically, he and the Chiefs led the NFL with 49 complete passes, uh, 49 completed passes, sorry, of 25 yards or more during the regular season. Although Philly's pass rush should be able to neutralize some of this deep ball magic. But all that aside, I think that this is going to be a very tight game, and it is going to be something that will be, well, amazing to watch. It'll be quite a spectacle, so yeah, I'm very excited for Sunday. Speaking of Super Bowl Sunday, I have to ask you guys, how are you spending your Super Bowl Sunday? Growing up for me, that meant always cooking and eating food while the Super Bowl is going on. Well, the cooking happens first, and then the eating happens during. And growing up, I always spent the Super Bowl with my family. But (coughs) since coming to college, things have been very, very different. While I do live close enough to home where I could feasibly spend the Super Bowl with my folks... I really did enjoy uh, spending the Super Bowl watching games, like regular season games and playoff games, or actually any sports games with my friends. So this year, I'm a little unsure what exactly I'm going to do, because I have multiple groups reaching out to me saying, hey, we're throwing stuff, so you should pop by. Um, So... And like... Obviously, I can't go back and forth during the game. I mean, that would, well, that would be heresy. An absolute treason to the game. And as someone who played football in high school, I don't think I can do that to the game. It means too much to me. But yeah, no, I'd like to know how you guys are spending your Super Bowl Sundays. Are you with family, with friends, with someone special? What kind of food are you eating? You know? Did you cater? Did you cook? I mean, I I always like to cook, but occasionally catering food now and then, you know, not the worst thing. Definitely uh, less prep work, and usually they give it in disposable containers, so less dishes to do. Um, what else? Are you guys drinking? Now, please, guys, drink responsibly. Like, I'm not going to talk about like drinking ages and stuff on a college campus because I know I can talk about the law but it's gonna be broken anyway so at least can you guys drink responsibly like I'm not endorsing drinking under 21 like but please just responsibly also I'm sure we're all excited about the parade that may happen if we win I mean seriously 
that parade will be crazy. The parade for Super Bowl 52 was so insane. Like, seriously. Like, grease poles, uh, loud music, you know? And people are still trying to climb the poles. I don't know why I bother mentioning that they're greased. Of course people know they're greased and still are going to try and climb them. But if we win that night even like regardless of winning or losing actually i should say the streets of philly will be a riot speaking about reasons to riot president biden gave a state of the union address two days ago on tuesday night and now i'm just joking I hope none of you went out and rioted because of the stuff he said. I, in fact, I hope none of you went out and rioted at all. Like, I, I mean, just the concept of rioting just seems like a bad thing. Like, obviously, nowadays, people conflate it with uh, protesting, but rioting is not the same thing as protesting. So, I'll just, I'll just leave that there. Um, but, uh, yeah, in, in his State of the Union address, Biden touched upon his, his message on unity pledging to work together with, uh, the new Republican House leadership. And he was really celebrating his own legislative accomplishments. But he also laid out an, what do you call it, an average Joe America vision for 2024 full of good old-fashioned poll-tested middle-of-the-road issues as well as a healthy dose of left-wing populism. Now, I think in politics, it's hard to be both confrontational and reasonable. At least paint yourself as reasonable. But Biden really towed that line. And I'm not sure that I mean that in a good way yet. <coughs> but there are five main takeaways that I got from his speech. First, his speech aimed to make other Democrats feel more comfortable with the idea of him being the candidate for 2024. And I think he did a really good job demonstrating those regular Democratic values. When I say Democratic, I mean of uh, the Democratic Party. And beyond that, a good job demonstrating a sort of intensity that he'd otherwise been lacking. I mean, I'm not going to make too many comments on that, but, you know, Biden as a speaker has not always been the most, um, how do you say, forthcoming with energy. Second, Biden really attacked Republicans in a way that that worked i mean it did make them look like the lesser option the best example of this was on these quote-unquote entitlements in insofar as republicans want to cut down uh spending on certain uh programs he even said that some republicans want medicare and social security to to sunset every five years this is funny because this is something that republicans in congress have really um really talked about 
Senator Rick Scott, for instance, opened the door to this with his Rescue America plan. And even though McCarthy has said that cuts to Medicare and Social Security are off the table, yet Biden still uses this as a talking point, enraging House Republicans who saw this charge as false and too far. And I think this is actually the point that opened the door to less civility from Republicans in the audience. I mean, when Biden was talking about fentanyl death, some shouted to him, It's your fault! Third, Biden was actually promoting populism and nationalism. I mean, both Biden and former President Donald Trump have populism standing front and center in their ideals. You know, the story of the little guy taking on the people in power, the little guy who is mad as heck at the system, and not going to take it anymore. And really, that's what his economic plan really described. It's about fighting large corporations. The big guys. You know, the big guys in suits, in the big buildings, the skyscrapers. You see, Biden went after corporate stock buybacks, the oil and gas company profits, big pharma, and wealthy tax cheats and billionaires. Hello, Bernie Sanders. He even said that he's going to require all construction materials used in federal infrastructure projects to be made in America, which is crazy to think about. I mean, just from sourcing material alone... But the prices of materials from America versus the prices overseas? But anyways, fourth, my fourth takeaway isn't something that was really there in his speech, but something that was, I felt absent, something lacking. I don't know about you guys, but I didn't really hear that much about China or Ukraine. You see, because this whole Made in America thing really aimed at China. And his really his only dig at China was talking about how investing in American innovation and in industries that will define the future is a priority in, in terms of making America strong and something that he won't let China dominate. But other than that point, he didn't really talk that much about them. At all. And for Ukraine, he basically just talked about, oh, the U.S. has done so much over the past year with its war with Russia. But other than that little comment, there was, not, there was nothing about Ukraine either. I mean, these are really big geopolitical concerns right now. This is really letting me know as a voter that Biden and his his campaign is really focused on only the domestic bread and butter issues, you know, the popular ones. And lastly, I didn't seem to get, uh, I mean, he, Biden seemed to get bipartisan support 
for police reform. And I think that, honestly, it's a tough line to walk, even though I don't personally think it should be. But it's like you said, it's up to all of us. And we want, we all want the same thing. Neighborhoods free of violence law enforcement who earn their community's trust, children to come home safely, equal protection under the law. That's the covenant we have with each other in America. And we know police officers put their lives on the line every day. We ask them to do too much. And this part of the speech was very different from the stark caricature of Biden that was portraying him as beholden to the extreme left. He was really able to bring both sides together for a standing ovation. And it's really nice to see the two opposing sides marry like that. With the polarization today, we really don't get to see two sides marry together in applause like that. Folks, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to WXVU Villanova, a.k.a. The Roar. Now... Speaking of marriage, Villanova students, how many of you filled out the marriage pact? I know I'm single and ready to mingle, so I gave it a shot, and why not? I have no reason not to, but I will say I am less than enthused by the lackluster effort of the person I received for my marriage pact this year. I mean, come on, I can't get a response or even you opening my message? Like, what am I, chopped liver? But, no, I think that the marriage pact, conceptually, is a good idea. I mean, what is, what is their message? I mean, if you go to their website, they talk about um, um, how they're applying science and technology to serve genuine, meaningful relationships. And, and they talk about, uh, you know, how this started as a uh, college tradition um you know you do a questionnaire and people just match you up but what if you were able to do that with technology what if you were able to uh fill out questionnaires uh on a scale single out certain questions as more important than others and were able to find somebody based on your responses so conceptually, it's an amazing thing. It truly, truly is. But putting into practice, well, honestly, it's not always the best. I mean, obviously, I had my trouble this year. Uh, I know some friends that uh, had some trouble, both uh, guys, girls, everything in between had their troubles, um, but, uh, I also know people who had a great success, uh, I know someone who's currently dating their marriage pack from last year, and I think that I wish it happened more like that, 
And honestly, I can't complain too much about the marriage pact because my marriage pact last year, she and I talked for a while. We met up in person and everything was going really well. And then I think both of our effort just died down. I think that we were also both wrapped up in school. Um, second semester last year was... Not, I'm not going to say it was tough for me, but I definitely... I definitely really focused in on studying uh, during the time it came out. I mean, last year it came out, what, right before spring break? Literally the week of? Like, week of... Uh, like, the week before spring break? Like, right before? So, there wasn't much time to really meet or do anything with your marriage pact on campus right away. So... So it was, it was better this year, because they did it miles before spring break. But, personally, I'm not having any success. And honestly, I think, if I'm not mistaken, now that I think about it, more of my friends had success last year. I think only two of my friends this year are actually having any sort of meaningful conversation with their marriage pact at all. Huh. That's crazy. But, who am I to judge? I mean, dating is definitely one of the the most confusing areas of life. I'm not going to say it's the most challenging because everybody has struggles and I don't think dating is necessarily the biggest of all, but I, I definitely think that it's one of the more confusing struggles. Especially in the sense that, like, you know, you have to deal with uh, gender norms and and societal expectations, and also the breaking down of these norms and expectations and there's pressure and harassment, and there's knowing what you want, um, uh, you know, finding yourself first, uh, there, during the pandemic, there was a whole thing about dating, like, virtually, uh, then, oh my gosh, dating apps, I mean, seriously, according to statistics, there are, like, what, 42, no, 44 million online dating users in the United States. You can't really talk about the perils of modern dating without talking about dating apps. And honestly, the thing about these apps is that they can be both good and bad. I'm not going to speak on my own experiences here, but modern dating, like, with apps... Apps give you this illusion of choice. And choice means you're less likely to find what you're looking for. Because you're willing to go through so many more lackluster dates and eventually just settle. And I think that at the end of the day, we should really push for old-fashioned dating. Now, I'm not here to say that, like, oh, the culture around dating nowadays is bad, because 
obviously it works for some people and people are happy which is good but you know i think that there's something draining about dating today i mean think about it dating in dating today ghosting people ghosting people is normalized behavior and so for those of you who don't know ghosting is when a person just abruptly cuts off all communication for no apparent reason like if you reach out they'll ignore uh any attempts you have to rekindle the conversation and i view ghosting as a form of rejection without without any closure because you have no idea what happened So, so the question becomes, how can you overcome dating obstacles? So, the, really, the only advice, the only advice that I can give you, uh, listeners, is that you gotta take your time, do something you enjoy... Learn to open up so you're ready to have honest conversations when the time arises. And yeah, there's there's no reason to rush. Especially for those of you listening on campus. We're what? Between 18 and 22? We have so many years ahead of us. I was just having this conversation with uh, one of my friends the other day. Uh, I was feeling a bit down. Uh, because of my uh, marriage pack not working out, and and don't get me wrong, I've had girlfriends in the past, but you know, I always thought that I'd meet someone in college, and I'd have a relationship with them, and one day they'd be my college sweetheart. But what my friend told me is that at the end of the day, that's way less than even 30% of marriages. 30% of relationships. So, so, you can't get hung up on, on the dating scene like this. In fact, I would ask you if you think you are really ready for a relationship. Are you emotionally available? Are you prepared for commitment? Like, there's so many things that go into relationship that you need to make sure you are actually ready. Because one of the worst things, folks, uh, to do is to put yourself in a relationship that might be your one and only Not necessarily that it's going to be your only relationship, but that person really would have been the person you spend your life with, but you weren't ready for it, so it had to end. But that's just my... That's just my opinion. I obviously... I'm not an expert um, in, in relationships or dating... But I can tell you that everything is going to work out 
eventually. Um, and I'm not going to get all religious or I'm not going to get all sappy, but yeah, no, it's, it's all going to be okay. And I think more people need to hear that things are going to be okay. Things are going to get better. Now, I want to go back a little bit, backtrack towards the, uh, to the Super Bowl, Super Bowl Sunday, in terms of, like, traditions and stuff. I talked about how you can either cook food or cater food, but (coughs) I'd like to ask, what are your traditional, what are your traditional Super Bowl foods? I mean, you know, there's, like, lists and lists of, like, traditional Super Bowl foods. I mean, um, you've got the, uh, you've got the giant subs, you've got, you know, all sorts of desserts, you know, pies, brownies, cupcakes, uh, oh, my, my personal favorite, chili a nice bowl of hot chili especially when it's nice and spicy you know you've got you've got uh pulled pork sandwiches uh sliders like burger sliders some people do deviled eggs you've got nachos oh game day nachos go so hard you've got pigs in a blanket you know those basically miniature hot dogs wrapped in puff pastry You've got potato skins, you've got guacamole, you've got seven-layer dip, which I think confuses me a little bit, because you have warm dip, cold dip, and they, like, get, they eventually become the same temperature. Like, unless you, of course, you're eating it fast enough, but... Like, before that, like, I don't, I don't know, it, it's just, it feels a bit weird to me, but, yeah, no, you've got, so you got, uh, seven layer dip, or I guess how many, however many layers you want, really, um, you've got pizza, pizza's a big one, um, and I've heard one that's, uh, getting more popular, uh, so, obviously there's chip and dip, but, uh, spinach and artichoke dip, and I really love spinach and artichoke dip at, like, restaurants. But, you know, chip and dip is a staple. Um, and uh, speaking of dips, you got buffalo chicken dip. And speaking of buffalo chicken, you've got chicken wings. For those of you just tuning in, you're listening to WXVU Villanova, a.k.a. The Roar. And here, we accept all Super Bowl traditions. So, you don't have to have just the traditional uh, Super Bowl foods. But, um, I think that you can start your own traditions. Uh, One of my friends is 
is big into this thing, uh, sweet potato nachos. They're just sweet potato chips that he does up like nachos. And he does them in a way that are, like, that is really healthy. Like, he uses, he, he does use cheddar cheese and he does put sour cream. But, um, he also uses, uh, pesto and lots and lots of different herbs and spices. And it comes out really, really good. I've had them twice in my life. And I gotta say, I enjoyed it both times. I enjoyed it every time. Um, but uh, for me, uh, in terms of traditions, for the Super Bowl, honestly... I can't say that my family really did anything specific. I mean, one year we did lamb chops, you know, seasoned with, um, I don't know if folks of you listening, I don't know if any of you know what garam masala is, but, um, it's basically, a a combination of spices, a specific combination of spices in, in South Asia specifically in India, and, uh, you know, a little bit of garam masala, a little bit of yogurt as a marinade, a little bit of, uh, red chili powder, you know, um, and it tastes, they tasted really good, so there was that one year, actually, I think we did that two years, maybe, um, then, uh, one year we did, uh, biryani, which is basically like a rice pilaf that is made with a sort of, uh, the term is, I believe, sherwa, um, but it's really a type of curry, um, that you, that you, um, mix into the rice and then let it dumb, which is another way of basically saying, like, bake slash marinate because like you have it on in heat but but you're not really baking it because it's still covered um and what you're really doing is you take the rice you put in your curry uh it's specific recipes of course because not all curries can be made into biryani although i guess i guess who's stopping you but anyways um, you take it, you put it in, you mix it in, or you can layer it, and, and you put it in the oven, and then you basically just let it dry, and all the flavors soak up into the rice, and, and basically what you're left with is this much drier, uh, rice, meat still moist, Rice now absorbed some more moisture, um, and honestly, I think it's really good. And uh, my mom makes some of the bir- the best biryani, if not the best biryani ever. And I know she's gonna be relatively pleased hearing that because I'm not someone who eats rice, which is strange for uh, someone with. Uh, south asian heritage because rice is a staple in in our homes but 
you know, I never really liked rice dishes, but as soon as my mom started cooking biryani, I hopped on board. Um, so let's see, what else did we have for, uh, Super Bowls? Of course, we had traditional American dishes, too. Um, like, we did do, uh, you know, like, the burgers and, uh, like, the, uh, like, the party appetizers, like, pigs in a blanket, and, like, like, um, like, the Southwestern-style egg rolls, so we, we did stuff like that, but we also did, um, I believe one year we did stuffed tomatoes, we stuffed them with hummus, um, because I had done that one year for a family Thanksgiving, and they came out really well, so we, I, I, yeah, I believe we repeated it for the Super Bowl, and they tasted excellent, and technically, you could argue that that's basically just a vegan deviled egg, I don't like boiled eggs so much, so I would have to argue that the tomatoes are better, but yeah, so so really what I'm trying to say is there are tons of traditions for Super Bowl foods, and honestly, cooking your own is really rewarding, especially if you either A, know how to cook, or B, follow a recipe. If you know how to cook, obviously, you don't always need recipes because you can kind of just tell, but even, even if you don't know how to cook you can follow a recipe you know maybe you get someone to help you out make it a two-person job or a three-person team and cook something together and i think actually let, let me pivot away from this your bowl um i think this is a more important issue I think that more people these days need to learn how to cook. And and growing up for me, it was a regular part of of like household life, uh like seeing my mom and dad cook and eventually when I was younger um, I started helping out my mom cook, um, you know, and, uh, of course, on the previous episode, I did talk about how much I love cooking, but, you know, I have to, I have to say, I am a little disappointed today when I hear people don't know how to cook. Because not only is it a way to carry traditions forward, but it's also a way of sustaining oneself. <laughs> so let me let me talk about what I think the reasons why people don't know how to cook nowadays are. You know, first, um, there's, there's, like, one of the obvious ones, uh, 
they were raised by parents with no cooking ability to really, uh, like, pass down or teach. You know, um, one of my friends, he uh, grew up ordering a lot of food out um, and eating outside. And they rarely cooked at home. And what they did cook was mainly, like, breakfast. Because, like, you're not going to go out to breakfast every day. Like, imagine, like, school. Like, imagine going out to breakfast on a school day. Like, you... Feasibly, I don't think you'd even have time. So, of course, breakfast you can cook. And, I mean, breakfast is pretty straightforward. You've got eggs, you've got toast, you know... Uh, if you want, you can cut up fruit, you can cut up vegetables, you've got, uh, you've got bacon or sausage that you can just put on a pan, or even now, people put bacon in the microwave and it comes out fine, you know, you just take a napkin, you put it on a plate, put the bacon on it, and, and, you know, you let it do its thing in the microwave, then you take it out, dab off the, uh, excess fat, and it comes out crispy, you know? Um, or there are a bunch of other life hacks, but, uh, yeah, breakfast is really the only meal that he would eat at home, and every other meal outside. Simple. Plain and simple. And I think that's, that leads me to the next reason, um, you know, when people are growing up, they had no adults in their lives willing to take the time and the patience to show them how to cook. In fact, I've heard from some people that they weren't even allowed in the kitchen as children. I was lucky, really, that my mom and my dad allowed me to come into the kitchen. I mean, sure, I have burned my hands, you know, on, on like, the toaster or like with the oil but obviously I've healed and and I think obviously those were learning experiences and I know not to handle food the way I did then um and I'm not obviously a professional chef or anything um but I know my way around a kitchen thanks to the fact that I was allowed there so young Um, so, yeah, I just, I don't know, like, it's important to have people show you these kinds of skills, but also it comes within, which leads me to my third reason that, you know, they had no interest in learning how to cook, and that it seems like something unpleasant that just simply creates a mess that you have to clean up afterwards. And I mean, there might be a little traction to that in the sense that I also don't like cleaning up after cooking. In fact, find me someone who enjoys cleaning up after cooking. It's different than like vacuuming your house or mopping your floors or dusting vases and stuff like that. Cleaning up after cooking... Clean up after cooking really sucks. 
Because especially when you do it right after you've eaten, especially if you made a lot of good food, your food coma is setting in and you're having to get up and wipe down the counters, wash the dishes, you know? Like, it does kind of suck. But the reward is, in my view, immense because you save more money uh, cooking food by purchasing the raw materials than you would if you were to if you were to eat outside those same meals probably. And I I know you some of you might be thinking, well, there's fast food which is cheaper. There's um, value deals, coupons that are making food uh, cheaper. But also, cooking at home, you can make healthier food. Because not to just restaurants or anything, but sometimes, um, like for fried foods, oil has not changed for a while. Um, um, pans sometimes don't get washed if they're cooking the same dish, which leads to buildup of, uh, you know, the sauce and all that, or if it burns, you've got carcinogenic, uh, chemicals, uh, coming into your food, uh, oh, grill grates are not properly cleaned right away, which is also the same problem, carcinogenic chemicals, uh, building up, and, yeah, People just don't want to learn how to cook. In fact, it's interesting because we we don't really see it anymore, but in home ec classes, home economics uh, class, there were often tasks uh, which were attributed to knowing how to cook. Um, I didn't have home ec. Uh, in fact, actually, I don't know anybody who had a home ec class. Like, when I say know anybody, I mean know anybody, like, recently who had a home ec class. Folks, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to WXVU Villanova, a.k.a. The Roar. And we're discussing reasons why people don't know how to cook and going back to um the home ec classes um they would have assignments to you know make like make egg uh creamed soup uh pizza bagels um you know so so I think also it's a failure of really systems in place because they make it so that you can survive without knowing how to cook, which is something that our ancestors didn't have the luxury of. You know, you always needed to learn how to cook. I mean, restaurants were really only available to the rich. So, so regular folk needed to know how to prepare their own meals. But that's really lost in today's society. 
So, I think I'll leave that there. Because if I talk anymore, I'm going to get mad. Because I really, I'm really passionate about uh, learning to cook. I really, I love cooking. Uh, I think it's one of the greatest skills you can have to support yourself and to support uh, others. But it's not necessarily one of the most sought after skills. I think if more people pursued learning how to cook instead of pursuing uh, pursuing TikTok dances and stuff like that, you know, we'd be in a much better society. Speaking of TikTok, a number of states are are choosing to ban TikTok from state-owned devices, citing security concerns um, because of China. And I think, personally, that this is a good thing for, for the United States. I think that slowly doing away with uh, TikTok speci- specifically... But um, just most social media in general will do us some good. I'm not saying ban all social media, but I'm saying if we can move away from using it every day, like every hour, then that would be good. Especially TikTok. Oh my gosh. There's been so much research done on TikTok through the use of, of AI-generated uh, users and even human testimonial that the algorithm really leads you down like the holes and and it's very easy to get caught up in it because there's really there's really no filter but um No, I think that what these states are trying to do is really a good thing, banning it from state-owned devices. I mean, especially because, do you really, what what purpose is there for a state-owned device to to have TikTok? I mean, obviously, um, I'm not saying state-owned devices are only used when people are working. Like, state-owned devices are provided... Uh, as as that person's device, so that person should technically have some leeway to to what they can download on that device. But if it poses security concerns, or if it poses con- just a concern in terms of like productivity then that is definitely something worth banning. I mean, seriously, I don't want to see any staffer for some politician doing renegade in their office when they could be, you know, doing actual work for for that campaign or for that politician. Um, but, you know, that's that's really just my opinion, and obviously that's an opinion I share, uh, with some people, and, you know, a lot of my friends 
use TikTok, and a lot of them are kind of, they're not upset that they use it, but they're almost kind of embarrassed because of how addicting it is. I mean, just last night, one of my friends texted in a group chat that I'm in that he literally could not go to sleep because of the For You page. And that's crazy to think about. That something is so addicting that it literally prevents you from going to sleep. Can you imagine that? But... That's a... That's a separate issue. I think uh, he needs to probably just delete it off his phone and deal with the, uh, like, coping through that. Not that he's addicted or anything, but, you know, it'd be better if he just stopped. You know, cold turkey. But, yeah, no, I think that the banning of TikTok from state-owned devices is a good move. And I honestly, I don't really know that much about the, the security concern. Um, I know that, um, obviously, since it's a Chinese app, there's a certain amount of regulation that that the Chinese government uh, is allowed to do in sense of like monitoring. I don't know how Chinese law or international law um, pervades uh, the use of TikTok overseas, especially in America. But you know, I've heard that it poses a security concern, and I've read from articles, you know, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, um, um, Washington Post, NPR, uh, you know, that it poses concern, so maybe it does. But I think it's really that social aspect that gets at the bottom of this. So, yeah, I'll just, uh, I'll leave it at that. As we're approaching the top of the hour, I have to say, today is a pretty chilly day. What temperature is it exactly? Um, I believe that it is somewhere in the 40s. Um, if I can just check. Yeah, it is 47 degrees outside. And there is a wind gust of up to 18 miles per hour. So, folks, if you don't know how, um, I'm not, I'm not saying you don't know how wind gusts work, but if you don't really, well, I guess, <laughs> I guess I am, but, um, if you don't really understand how wind chills work, um, basically you have an already, uh, low temperature, then you have the wind blowing, and because of that, you 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 you'd think uh, if you had like like a second grader's understanding of physics, you'd think oh molecules are moving, so it should get warmer. No, 
wind chill makes you feel colder. I don't know why, but it does. And and today is, I guess, a windy day. And it's already a pretty low temperature. I mean, folks, I'm someone who really does like the cold, but I don't like the wind. Like, I can handle, like, even, like, low 30s, fine. Throw on some wind at 50 degrees, and I'm already putting on my winter coat. Like, it's too much for me at that point. Because, because, you know, sometimes even with higher winds, like, when you have winds going up past, like, 25, I feel like sometimes the air is being sucked out of my lungs. Like, it just blows and, like, takes the air with it. And I don't know if this phenomenon is experienced by anybody else, but that's just me. Speaking of weather and natural occurrences, uh, there was an earthquake in, in Turkey and... and Syria, and, well, the death toll has unfortunately passed, uh, I believe, 19,700, so it is worse than uh, Fukushima, which was also a really bad earthquake in, in Japan. And I know rescue efforts are uh, as high as they can be, um, but, you know, there's only so much you can do in these situations, because you have buildings collapse, you have rubble, you know, you have uh, displaced peoples, sometimes not even knowing where they are. And, and, of course, the injuries and the deaths um, are shell-shocking. I mean, think about it. You, you don't expect earthquakes. In fact, why would anybody expect earthquakes? Because then, why would people live in areas where there'd be earthquakes? You know, people would choose to live away from the fault lines then. But, no, people, you don't expect earthquakes. You can't blame people for that. Especially, like, long-standing civilizations. But, um... And just, oh my gosh, some of the pictures from from the earthquake are so, so devastating. Like, they remind me of, like, tornadoes, like, here in the U.S. Um, how, like, the buildings have just collapsed. And, of course, the U.S. also has earthquakes. But, um... No, but this was really bad. So... Yeah, I just... And I don't know, there's there's not too much we can do as, like, everyday people. Like, you, you, you can obviously sign up to volunteer... Uh, you can donate to relief efforts, um, but there's not too much we can do with uh, overseas natural disasters as regular people. 
And I'm sure that the United States will at some point provide uh, aid to uh, help rebuild. But you and I really have a much more limited role. And honestly, I wish that, you know, in these situations I could do more. Um, and Like, personally, I just think that, you know, it'd be nice to be able to do more, but it's not always possible. For those of you just tuning in, you're listening to WXVU Villanova, a.k.a. The Roar. And Longwood Gardens is a proud supporter of WXVU, and they invite you to come make your winter escape. Embark on an exotic day trip by escaping to Longwood's Warm Conservatory, a lush sanctuary of a variety of beautiful plants from around the world. Explore the ever-changing Orchid House as it bursts with colorful standouts from our expansive collection, with new orchids coming into brilliant flower through the season with Longwood's changing display. Longwood Gardens is located in Kenneth Square with ticketing information available at longwoodgardens.org. That's L-O-N-G-W-O-O-D-G-A-R-D-E-N-S dot O-R-G. And if you're just coming back, we were just talking about the the earthquakes, the recent earthquake in uh, Syria and Turkey. Um, and and not to be less than hopeful, but we as people in the United States don't have too much we can do. But I will definitely say that you know, positive thinking, sending your thoughts and prayers, not the worst thing you can do. So if you can do at least that, please. To hop on a more positive note, um, um, video games, um, yeah. So I don't know about all of you listening, but uh, I do like to relax every now and then by playing video games, and and I like a lot of my friends also like to. You know, we play uh, we play mainly uh, Battlefield, uh, specifically Battlefield One, um, and Two uh, uh, K, and um, recently. My friend and I got into this game called Castle Crashers, and it's not a, it's not an, it's not a new game, but it's certainly a very, it's certainly a very interesting game, because uh, Essentially, it's a 2D side-scrolling hack-and-slash video game uh, developed by this company, The Behemoth. And and it was part of uh, the Xbox 360's set of games. But, um... 
it's uh, been added to Xbox Ones, and it is actually free to play on uh, Xbox One, Castle Crashers Remastered. And so me and my one friend, or I guess I should say my friend and I, proper grammar and all, have been playing this game for a few weeks now, ever since we got back from winter break. And I gotta tell you, it's it's very, it's a whimsical style game in terms of like the color and it's really, it's just an enjoyable experience every time uh, sitting down to play this game because, you know, typical, like, you just attack your enemies and you make your way through uh, kind of thing. We're not done or anything, and it's my first time playing, so uh, he has played it, I believe, but uh, he also just doesn't remember it, which is good because um, otherwise I kind of feel like cheating, but yeah, no, it's, um, it's a really interesting game, I mean, it's, it's really fun, you know, it's regular style beat-em-up gameplay, and it's a very cooperative game, with, uh, lots of RPG elements, especially in the sense that, um, there's character customization, you know, you have, like, points that you can level up with, and, and I, personally, you know, have my style of leveling up, and my friend has his style of leveling up, and we both have our own various skill sets within the game, you know, he's better at attacking, and, like, you know, beating, like, the little enemies, I'm better at grabbing items, and, and, you know, taking on the larger bosses, and I think that combination makes us a really good team, and while it's just the two of us playing, technically more people could join in, but, honestly, it's just become a ritual that he and I play. So, yeah. But then, of course, there are other games, like, you know, like I mentioned, 2K and Battlefield. Um, that my friends and I play, and they are also kind of like rituals too, you know, especially, um, during breaks, we all have our Xboxes at home, and we play Battlefield together, and in fact, we have a little group chat, uh, for, uh, us that have Xboxes, <coughs> have Xboxes and play Battlefield, sorry, and it is a really fun time. I mean, I'm not promoting violence in any way, but the game itself, the gameplay is fun. And it's just so realistic, too, 
because for those of you who don't know, Battlefield 1 is about World War 1, and it is really, really, really historically accurate. And they took actual stories from people, from soldiers, and from people fighting in the war to make this game. And the map details are are amazing too. Like and the sprites themselves, like the the characters are designed really really well. You know, like for instance, um a lot of South Asians because uh Britain had control of South Asia at that point, most of South Asia. Um, at that point, most of the South Asians served in the British Army as medics. And that real fact translates over to the game in the sense that the playable character for the medics is South Asian. For the British. Which is really astonishing to capture little details like that in the game. But um, then there's, of course, there are sports games. You know, uh, NBA 2K, I mentioned. Um, NBA 2K23, I should say. We played 22. Uh, now we play 23, now that's out. Honestly, I like 22 better. And my one friend, he'll agree with me the shot meter and things like that. Uh, I'm not going to explain that for those of you uh, listening who don't understand because that's a whole big spiel to get into, the mechanics of uh, 2K. Um, But the shot meter just doesn't make sense in 23. Um, um, I think also it is a lot easier to steal in 23, I would say, based on uh, my playthroughs, and and it's interesting because my one friend, he is amazing at NBA 2K22, but he's, I'm not going to say he's bad at 2K23, uh, he's still really good, he's not cracked or anything, but he's still really good, but... He's just not as good at 23 than he is at 22. Uh, let's see what else. There's the Madden games. I, I'm i going to be honest. I haven't played the Madden games personally. Um, because every time I wanted to play football, I would just call up one of my friends. And we'd toss a ball around. You know? Um, especially, like, here on campus. I can just go to one of the greens and toss a football around. Um, but no, uh, that's a fun game too. Again, the mechanics are a little bit complicated in terms of like setting plays and stuff like that. I guess so you could say. Um, Madden is a little more complicated, actually probably a lot more complicated than than 2K because in basketball obviously you have plays, 
But the thing is that you don't really decide plays in in 2K. You just let the AI on your team do the thing, um, do their thing, and you just play your character one character at a time. And and in op- opposition with that, in Madden, you create plays, and the AI then they act in accordance with the play you've made or like the play you've set for them so if you run a pass option they will run according to how that team runs their pass option uh if you're on defense and you want to run a blitz all your linemen and your linebackers will run the blitz And so, it's definitely much more complicated than 2K, but I honestly have to say that 2K is probably more fun because of how less complicated it is. And and I'm personally I'm personally not that good at 2K, but it's still a fun experience for me. Um in terms of video games that are uh, coming out, obviously uh, 2K23 is a new video game. Um, There is a game series called Dead Space that is making a rebuilt version Um, which offers supposedly a much more immersive experience, and that's coming, that is actually, that has already came, that already came on January 27th of last month, or, I, I'm, ugh, I'm stupid, January 27th was obviously last month, because this is February, but you already knew that probably, I hope, did you know that, did you know that listener? This month is February. But, yeah, no. And the Dead Space series was a very classic, classic series. I mean, it was essentially, um, humanity was able to colonize other planets. By the 23rd century, Earth's resources were all gone. And... And essentially, uh, the government has ships, I believe that were called planet crackers, which were mining ships meant to harvard resources by breaking apart other planets to gather materials for humanity. And, and essentially... They uh, find an artifact, and that leads to the premise of the game, you know. Um, Well, I mean, you probably might not know, but that leads to the premise of the game. For those of you just tuning in, 
You're listening to WXVU Villanova, a.k.a. The Roar. And I think that Dead Space is honestly going to be um, a really good game. Uh, the new one, I should say. Because uh, I really liked um, Dead Space 2 which was uh, an Xbox 360 game. Um, But, no, all of the series was really good. I mean, you have, like, characters who are suffering from, like, hallucinations, and at the same time, they are dealing with uh, the enemies, which are essentially undead uh, people on the ships. And it's all due to that artifact I mentioned. And I think that it really is just a fun game. And I'm really excited to play this new one. So, so that's my take on video games for now. I'll probably talk about video games again in the future. Uh, I'm not, like, a gamer or anything, but, you know, I do like some titles. Um, I definitely will be talking about uh, Super Smash Bros. at some point, because I love that game. Uh, that's on the Switch, of the N- Nintendo Switch, for those of you who aren't aware. Um, I will not be talking about Mario Kart, because I'm bad at that game. But, yeah. So, folks, we're coming down to the last few minutes of the show. So, I want to start by saying thank you for tuning in. If you've been tuning in since the beginning, or if you came in at some point along the way, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And we all at WXVU appreciate you listening in. Um, and, yeah. I think that, you know, it's really interesting nowadays to to listen to radio shows and podcasts because I think that n- we really nowadays don't do that anymore. Like, in terms of listening to the radio and... Yeah, in terms of listening to the radio, I didn't really do that when I was growing up. I mean, the most I... Actually, that's not true. The most I had was listening to the radio on the way to school because my uh, bus drivers, because I took the bus every day, would play the radio. <coughs> and, I, and I especially remember in middle school listening to the radio every day because... It was a combined channel, you know, it had music, it had talk shows, just like WXVU, 89.1 FM, aka The Roar, you know, um, or just like The Roar in general, but, um, yeah, no, radio shows don't get enough credit these days, I think, and I'm not talking about myself, I mean, 
I think that some of the shows I've listened to uh, have been really, really nice. And I think that this organization really is one of the better ones on campus. Because I really, I really have creative freedom. As you can tell, I talk about a wide array of topics. You know, I talk about politics, pop culture, I talked about video games, I talked about the news, um, yeah. And, of course, last episode I talked a lot about philosophy, so it's, it's really something special to be able to just sit down and talk. And listening to people sit down and talk is awesome because not only is it a gateway into another person's mind, but it's also a gateway to another perspective. And the difference between that is, one is you're appreciating the knowledge of another person better, and the other is you're gaining knowledge from another person to be able to use as your own. And knowledge and wisdom, really. Because... Obviously, I'm not pushing any of my beliefs onto you guys, but I hope that in terms of just, you know, the way that I present the information to you, or in terms of the information I present, I can either have you guys appreciate uh, something a little more, or understand something a little better, or maybe, maybe I'll just, maybe I'm teaching you something. Maybe you don't know a lot about the Super Bowl and sports and now you know what to talk about for those of you who were uh, tuning in the beginning of the show now you know what to talk about at your friend's Super Bowl party and I think that it is one of the toughest things when you are somewhere and you don't know what to talk about you don't know what to say and if I can say that I helped you know what you're going to say, then I have absolutely accomplished my goal for this show. Because this show is all about the listeners. You know, I can talk all day, but if I'm screaming into the void, does it really matter? But no, you guys are there listening in, and that's great. And some of you listening in are, like, people I know, like, that are close to me. And maybe you're listening in, making your breakfast, maybe you're listening in, walking on your way to class, you know, maybe you're listening in after your first class or whatever, and you're just, you know, you're kind of beat from a long day, even even though the day is barely halfway through. But maybe you had all your morning classes, and you're a bit tired, and you just want to relax, you know, throw something chill on, and I'm glad that I could be that source of the chill. So, yeah, I think, I think that's what it is, radio shows are, are awesome, and are, should be listened to more because a lot of people put an effort in 
and and especially I believe WXVU has got some great shows uh, going on and great music shows with great set lists. So, yeah. And uh, I guess I'll use uh, some of the remaining time to talk about music for a second. Um, in terms of like my personal favorites obviously last episode I talked to you or last show I talked to you about Radiohead and and my favorite albums so it's clear I like alt rock um but I'm also a fan of rap and and really I I kind of find find it hard to like or not like find it hard to dislike any genre of music i think the genres are not the problem it's the songs like i've heard bad country songs you know like the stereotypical sitting on a porch drinking beer and you know like stuff like that but you know, then you have the classics, you know, you've got, like, you know, The Gambler, uh, Mamas Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up to Be Cowboys, um, I think it's, uh, Forty Shades of Green, um, The Blizzard, and, and of course, you got other genres, too, that are underappreciated, like, um, like uh jazz there's some really nice jazz pieces especially some of the classics oh jazz is really one of the most amazing musical inventions that i've listened to and it's really from what i understand about jazz it's really all about taking your chaos and turning it into something not something ordered per se but something special you know in the sense that music is about order but jazz is about chaos jazz is about pushing the boundaries and creating note patterns that really just shine so I think that music is honestly one of the better inventions of humanity. I mean, music really does bring people together. And it brings nations together, too. And yeah, I think it's it'd be better if the world had more music in it. And I personally, uh, I do a little bit of music writing. Uh, One of my friends, he's also big into writing music. He plays guitar. So he writes, uh, you know, music for his guitar, some with lyrics, some without. Uh, I mainly, I'm a lyrical composer. uh, So when I... In, in my compositions, I mainly attribute the notes to lyrics. 
I don't really do background stuff. Although, I do. I do uh, pen out a tune uh, every now and then. But, yeah, no. Um, I think music is a beautiful thing that really should be more appreciated. I mean, because music really does change emotion and it can change perspective and you know it's both calming invigorating like music can do so much like it can inspire you like it's music is really something and I think that obviously a good number of people listen to music you know this isn't like uh some of you might not get this reference this isn't like the little mermaid um you know uh uh for those of you who don't understand the reference uh in like the little mermaid the disney story arc there's a prequel and in the prequel they don't allow music in the kingdom or something uh, I know that because I have a sister, and I had to watch that. Uh, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I really don't like that movie. I hope to never see it again. But, yeah. No, but I think more people could listen to music. I think not necessarily that the world needs to be more musically inclined or anything. Just that, if we, like, stop for a second and appreciate it, everything around us music is one of those things that really helps with that I believe and music tells a story 